Thanks for joining us today on the Centerpoint podcast coming from the loft on Main in Danville, Kentucky. For more information, check us out at centerpointdanville.com. Well, good morning. My name is Jason. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to connect with you. And today, we're right in the middle of it. So it's almost like that movie, you know, that movie series. And we're at the, you're right there at the big, you think you've got enough time to get to the movies, but you sort of miss the opening credits, and you sort of miss the, the, you know, the, whole, the whole reason why the movie exists. And you're stuck right there in the middle, and you're like wondering, is he a bad guy or is he a good guy? You know, it's just one of those moments. So that's where we're at today. And so uh, we're in a series, part, part three of a series called Believe With us. And, and, and it's an awesome series simply because it allows us to see where Jesus is at in our own walks. And for us, that's what we're about. Uh, here at Center Point, we're really focusing on Christ. We're trying to make him the center of our lives. We're trying to point to him in everything. We're trying to live with him in, in a beautiful way. And so if you're wanting to try to catch up for the past two weeks, I would encourage you to go to our website. Our website has the podcast, and, and, and hopefully in the future we'll have videos there for you guys to be able to connect or at least, hey, you need to go watch this simply because God's doing something really cool, and he's basically bringing his people together to really believe with us. And if you really don't understand that from the aspect of, of just believing with us. That's kind of arrogant, and I'll, I'll, I'll be the first one to admit that. Here's the thing. When you're talking about the church, it's global. It's not just center point up in a loft. It, it, is, it is a bunch of churches working side by side, networking together to bring God glory. And that is believe with us. It's as simple as I know how to say it. And so at the very beginning, Ashley just said a beautiful prayer, and, and, and I know I've had kind of a tough week, and, and, and the devil, the devil just wants to pull you back down. Uh, my wife and I had a conversation yesterday where she was, you know, she was just, you know, being attacked, and she could feel it, and, 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 and the devil just wants to pull you down. He wants to distract you, he wants to beat you up, he wants to kill, steal, and what? Destroy. And it says, but I have come to give you life. And so we need to think about that. He hates for you to have life or to live. He hates for you to, to live abundantly in him. And last week I started off with this word hate. So I thought, hey, why not? Let's just keep on going. He hates for you to live. And so I started reading my scriptures this week, and I noticed something uh, pretty clear. Uh, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is really talking to his disciples, and he said something that caught my attention because my daughter was singing this song, and he said, you just got to shake it off. <laughs> I was like, man, Taylor Swift stole a song from Jesus. And so this morning, I just want you to shake it off, shake it off, shake it off. And so whatever's bugging you, man, just let Jesus shake it off. Live in Him and just get excited to breathe in Him this morning. Allow Him to just to, to produce a fruit that you can only He only He gets the credit for. And so this morning, as we just begin, as we start to, to sink our teeth into what it really means to live, shake it off. Whatever you brought in here this morning, whatever kind of baggage you brought in, whatever's in this suitcase, man, shake it off. Let's focus on Christ. For the next little bit, let's just focus everything we got on Christ and just to see what happens. And maybe, just maybe, you'll start to see what it really means to believe with us. And so for a quick review, we've been believing in Jesus for a long time. A lot of people have been believing in Christ. We've been following Jesus and today, in the past couple weeks, over two weeks, we've been centering, we've been pointing, and we've been living. Today, it's all about living 
for Jesus because he changes everything. He changed everything and continues to change everything. It's just we have to really invest into him. We got to invest into something that's worth investing into. And a lot of us invest a lot of stuff. But the question that I propose today is, are you investing in something that's eternal? And so as we just sort of understand history and we go back and reflect, throughout history, throughout history, many things people resist about the church are the things that the church should have resisted. And you got to think about that for a second to understand churches in general. Uh, a lot of the things the church gets sucked into are a lot of the things that people resist and push away. They say, God, I don't want to be a part of that. The preacher who gets up and starts preaching about what? Politics. And he goes off on a tangent and he says, the people on the left, man, you are so far from God. Not to be outdone, the people on the right, man, you don't even know how righteous you are. Where was that brought up in the Bible? Jesus said, I am the way, truth, and light. No one comes to the Father except through who? Me. You see, we get so strung out on things that we probably should have resisted from talking about or making it a huge point in the church, and and, and, and eventually it, it contaminates what Jesus put in motion. It really can affect the church. And the unfortunate side of this is, is when Jesus initiated the church. When Jesus initiated the church to resist one thing, and it was the temple model. And somewhere along the line, if you don't understand what the temple model was, which was focused on sacred places, sacred men, sacred text, and sincere followers. We sort of get bent out of shape of, oh man, our church is holier than thou. We gotta, you gotta protect the church. You can't bring that in here. You can't do that. Oh wait a minute, you're drunk. You can't be in here today. Sacred text. Oh, well, this scripture right here, don't have a tattoo. Well, you're going to hell because you got a tattoo. You, you, you've ever heard these? We, we sort of took the Bible and used it as a whipping post. We started beating people down over the last couple thousand years, we have turned what Jesus initiated into something really so far from what he decided it wanted to be like. And sacred men, we sort of put men in a pedestal position, or women, of power. We think that they have so much knowledge, and we, we give them credit, and we, we say, hey, listen, this guy knows all the answers. And then you have sincere followers that just sort of follow along. And yet we wonder why our church is so bent out of shape because they're so far from Jesus. It's not even funny. But Jesus came to shake it off. I had to throw it in there. Jesus came to shake it off. He shaked it off and initiated a new covenant. A new covenant that is less complicated, but far more demanding. You need to hear that again. It's less complicated. It's church made simple. It's so easy, but it's so hard. Because he established something. He said, follow me. Believe in me. He established a new covenant, a new command, a new ethnic group, and eventually a new movement. It was actually called a cult when it first started because people were scared of it. They were like looking at it from all angles and saying, hey, wait a minute. This ain't what it says to do in our scriptures. This is not what we follow in our, our Pharisee rule book, number 344. You know, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say we do this today. 
And somewhere along the line, he just said, wait a minute. Let me ask a great question. For all of you guys on the left, are so strong out. All you guys on the right, so strong out on just what we can make the church look like. Let me ask this one difficult question that's so simple, but yet hard to follow. And so the question was this, and we've proposed this for the last couple of weeks. What does love require of me? When Jesus entered the scene, he basically asked that question because God had to answer the question when he, when he said, hey, Mary, you're going to carry love. You're going to give birth to something called love. And so Jesus was born, and Jesus followed in his footsteps, his father's footsteps, and he learned, and he loved one another. He demonstrated what it really looked like. And then ultimately he said, what does love require of me? No, I don't want this. Father, please take this cup from me. No, no, no. I, I have to do this because love requires this of me. And so he basically proposed this question. Disciples, when you have the thick, when, it just, when you're just so stuck in a rut and you're squabbling over here with the right and the left, when you're, when you're pressing back and pushing back everything against the world, ask this one question. When you really hate your friend and you really can't re- just get him and get along, ask this one question. When you really just can't even look at your wife and you're having trouble with your kids, And your job is just so far from God. Ask this one question. When your finances are bent out of shape and you don't even know what's the next step in your life, ask this one question. What does love require of me? You see, our devotion to Jesus is illustrated. It's it's demonstrated and it's authenticated by our love for others. Remember our verse that we've, we've been sort of camping out and focusing on? You know, John chapter 13. This is John, the, the guy, the recorder. The guy's full of himself. He's, he's the beloved one. He's the guy that says, you know, I, I follow Jesus and I love you. He's the guy that took care of Jesus' mom. And he records this because Jesus is teaching. And in John chapter 13, 34, it says this. It says, a new command I give you. What does that say? Love one another. Let's say it together. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must what? Love one another. In 35, it says this. It's one of the most powerful pieces of passage in your Bible. And if you don't believe me, go read it and camp out on this verse this week. In 35, it says, by this, everyone, not just a couple people, not just your friends, not just the people you hang out with, but everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you what? Love one another. You see, there's the hardest piece in the Bible, I think. So what does love require of you? What does love require of me? You see, he said this for all people, all nations, and for all time. But you just have to put it into action. And that's where we mess up because it becomes more about us. Because it it's usually becomes more about me than you. We sort of focus on how much I can get out of things versus how I can love through the things God's blessed me with. Imagine if every Christian engaged this. Imagine if every Christian engaged people instead of just attending church services. Come on. What would it do? Imagine if every Christian used his or her authority on behalf of others. Imagine 
Imagine if every Christian asked this one question. What does love require of me before they get out of bed? It would change the world, wouldn't it? It would change the world in in the way the church looks like, the modern state of the church, what it feels like when you enter it in church, and what really ultimately, I'm sick and tired of hearing this on Facebook and Twitter and everything else, love wins. I'm sorry, it already did. When he stepped out of the grave, he said, I got this definition, one, Jesus. Can't redefine it. But for us, we just got to follow it. You see, but I think we can redefine the church because we've got off track. We've we focused on simple things that cause confusion and mess with our conscience and ultimately creates behaviors that are far from God. And for us, we need to just get things, strip things away. We probably need to confess. We probably need to, you know, honestly repent from a lot of things that we've been beating up people on. You see, we stare at the two-by-four, right, in people's eyes. Excuse me, let me rephrase that. We stare at the speck of dust in people's eyes when we got a two-by-four sticking in our own. And we're guilty of so much stuff. And the only thing we have to really answer is, what does love require of me? And so now you need to understand I love the local church. There's nothing better than the local church. I love my father and my mother who, who really, honestly, you know, I think it was day three, had me in church, you know? I don't really remember that day, but they said I was, you know, sort of loud and, and obnoxious. Nothing's changed. You know, it's one of those things where I was sitting on the back row and, and still just, and I love the church. There's something beautiful about bringing your kids and, and fellowshipping and hanging out and, and, and just doing things that, you know, you do in churches. And, and, and if you grew up in churches like I did, we, we did mischief things. We did those things. We got in trouble for them. One of my greatest pranks, I know I'm getting off track, track uh, you know, chasing a rabbit here, but one of those moments that, you know, clarity comes with a, an object of a spanking uh, later on when you get home. But those little candles that you float, you know what I'm talking about? You know, me and my friend Corey, uh, we found these in, in, in the church, and the baptism room was full that day. And we just thought it would be really cool during the service if we floated them across <laughs> during the worship service. And I don't know what possessed us to light them, but it was so funny. It was one of those, clarity, yeah, it was a clarity moment of never do that again <laughs> when I got home. But we did things, and we just loved the church, and me and Corey still talk about those things. And, and you know, it's just, it, it was good. I grew up in the church. I accepted Christ in the church. It wasn't, if it wasn't for just understanding what the church means to me, I would even be here today because someone loved me enough to take me to church on day three and said, you know what? Yeah, you got soccer game. You got basketball game. You got football. You got everything else. Yeah, you got your studies, but you're going to church tonight. You're going to be around other believers. You're going to be engaged in what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. I don't care that you don't care. You're going to be involved because... We love the church too. We love what Jesus can do through the church. We believe in what God is doing in our local church. So therefore, I'm a byproduct of the local church. So you're not going to not, not hear me sit up here and bash churches. I am for the church. And if all of our churches start asking this one simple question, what does love require of me? Jesus wins. 
Jesus wins. Because when, when, when Jesus wins is, is when the church is, is, is growing and it's multiplying. And, and, and when that happens, it doesn't matter what church it is, we win. Because we're on the same team. God's doing something special. When the church starts to really focus in on, on what it means to follow me. Not just grow a church. But somewhere our temple model. Somewhere our temple model snuck in. Snuck into the model church and got in between what Jesus put into play and what we follow today. It's like someone took the word uh, like the church, which is a German word in its roots called kirch. Which, which means the house of the Lord and squeeze a little bit of the Jesus model into the church, which is ecclesia. In other words, the gathering of his believers. And somewhere along the line, we sort of made it a blend. And so many people come and just sit on rows and try to get filled up and never ask the simple question, what does love require of me? And so today I believe the best question that we can simply ask. It's the thing that we've asked throughout history. It's the thing that people start to really engage and ask and are troubled with with the church because they see, they look at it and look at the the current turmoil inside the churches and you're probably like, what is he talking about? Let me ask this question. For those who are on the outside looking in and maybe you don't even want to be here, you've got your bumpers up like this this morning already and you're just like, you know what, I'm just here because she's here. You know what, I'm, I'm just here because my wife asked me to be here. I'm just here because she really looks good today and I just want to hang out with her. Whatever the case is, why don't you like the church? Why do people don't like the church? Is that your fault or the church's fault? Is that your fault or the church's fault? Now, I get to see some people's resentment with Jesus. I can understand just the natural resentment with Jesus. Yes, he was a man, but I don't believe in him. I don't believe in him as the one and only God. I don't believe in the virgin birth. I just really struggle with that one. I don't believe in the resurrection. I understand that. I don't believe in, in any gods, and I understand that all people who don't believe, uh, I, just, I just I struggle with uh, people who just believe because there's just really nothing there to touch or physically see because of all the doubts, the hang-ups, and, or the disconnections between, between them and God. And, and, and if, they're gonna, if that's a group of Christians who believe in God and seeing the hypocrisy that comes through them, why would I ever want to be one of those? You see, those are all valid questions. Those are all valid questions that I would love to sit down and have a conversation with because I, can believe, I believe in the Holy Spirit in a way that allows those doubts, those, those, those huge questions, those challenging moments that the Holy Spirit can change a person's heart. Because I've seen somebody who's an atheist turn and believe in Jesus. Cody, one of our guys here, a resident intern, he was an atheist and he finally understood who Jesus was and set him free. You know, one of the greatest things is when you see that happen and they start to just grasp God and they run with God with a passion and a fire. But the thing I struggle with is this, is when we mess up, you know, those bad church experiences, all of us have them, right? That allow you to turn from Jesus when he did not do it, we did it. We messed it up. When we set temple model rules 
and are turning people away at the doors and telling them they are not welcome in this place. Demonstrating that image is more important than getting dirty through discipleship. Following a man's rules versus following the one who created the rules. And not demonstrating this one simple question. What does love require of who? Me. You see, in the Gospel of John, we, we find a recording where Jesus is washing some feet. He's sitting there doing this, and he's, he's just sort of at the end of his ministry, and he's, and he's gathering his disciples up, and he's coming to him. He said, listen, i got to do something, and I'm going to do something that's sort of radically different. I'm getting ready to wash your feet. And all the disciples are like, you know, really? Man, my feet, you know, and back in the day, that, they were nasty. Just be real. Sandals, dirt. I know what just my kids bring in the house. I can only imagine what dirt rolls bring in the house. And Jesus is like, I got this. And he, he unrobes. That was an awkward moment. But this is, I mean, here's Jesus un, un, you know, un, unrobing. And, and he just sits down there in front of them and begins to wash their feet and then dries their feet. And Peter's like, wait a minute. Hey, you're not going to wash my feet. I should be washing your feet. And he said, listen, Peter, you've been walking with me for a long time and you still don't get this. If you don't allow me to do this for you, if you don't allow me to serve you, if you don't allow me to love you this way, then you cannot be a part of me. And so when it was all finished, Jesus really just sat back and he said this one line that I've been struggling with this week, but I've just been praying over because I believe it's a part of Scripture that is going to allow us to understand what really living is all about. And he says this in John chapter 13, verse 14 and 15. And if you need a Bible today, hopefully, you know, grab one on the way out or turn on the, the uh, U version of the Bible. Check it out. If they're olive tree Bible, there's some great apps. But this is what he says, and this is what he records in John chapter 13, verse 14 through 15. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also, what, should wash one another's feet. Now, everybody's sort of freaking out right now. We're getting ready to have a big feet washing service, right? No, that would probably freak some people. Some people with sandals on, you're like, yeah, I, I, can, I can do that. I can, I'm, I'm down with that. Other people are like, you know, you don't even know the corn on the end of my toe. You know, <laughs> I got some athletic, you know, you know fungi, fungi going on up there. It's just kind of dirty. And, but yeah, if you want to wash them, you go for them. But here's what it says. You also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example. Not a big ritual, not a rule, not something in motion. What he said, an example. That you should do as I have done for who? You. You see, it's an example of what it really means for the church to move. Maybe what the church looks like for it to move is to serve or love one another through the most humbling position of on our knees. That's what it really means to live. That's what it really means to point. That's what it really means to center. You see, what he was really saying was this. Holy people have dirty hands. If you're going to follow me, you got dirty hands, not some clean hands. A better way of saying this for us this morning is dirty is the new holy. 
You know, for a lot of us, we come up here really clean and just like, you know, I, I got, that baby just spit up on me. That's just nasty. Man, if you're serving in Kidsville, they are the dirtiest, wonderful kids I've ever met when they poop and they, 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 they throw stuff. And, and, and God bless those people who are serving because you know they're your kids. Maybe it's in first impressions and they're down on the street and they're coming out and they're having to track through all the construction zone and they're getting dirty. Or maybe it's coming down to Love Lob now when we have those events, no matter where they're at. And this summer it impacted me because I wouldn't allow a kid to wash her hands on my shirt and she had dirt all over them. What he's actually saying Apart from me, if you don't follow me, dirty is the new holy, and it will set you free. You're going to live like no other if you just get dirty. Discipleship is dirty. It's messy. But it's the most rewarding experience that you will ever, ever be a part of. You see, we should never be fooled by the man who knows a lot in the brain about the Bible, but does not love a lot. There's a lot of people walking around quoting scriptures, throwing them out like left and right, like a water sprinkler. You know, that's all they do. But they don't love. They don't even love their wife. They don't even show how it really looks like to love their children. Matter of fact, they could even go and repent and ask for forgiveness because the pride is so high. But they'll throw a verse out left and right. Never be fooled by a man who knows a lot of Scripture, but never loves one another. You see, we should also never confuse giftedness for holiness. A lot of us are like, oh, they're just really gifted. They're really good. Oh, man, they can talk to anybody. Hey, you know, he's got a microphone. He knows how to speak. And, you know, oh, wow, 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 wow. Or they're, they're up there serving and they're doing this. Don't ever confuse giftedness for holiness. Some people can get up and talk, but do they serve? The church in general should be ashamed of not doing a better job of this because we get up and talk, good talk, but we don't walk the walk. Because a lot of us, here's the truth. And here's where you're sitting in a seat. And it's because of people like you and me. We're good at consuming. We're good at being consumers, but not spiritual contributors. We consume more than we contribute sometimes, don't we? Let's just be real honest up front here. Consumers. We're a consumer nation. It's been bred into us. If we're going to flip it and start to live like Jesus said, apart from me, stop consuming and start contributing. Go serve. Do the example that I've set and do it. You see, it's sometimes easier to teach a class than to change a diaper. It's easier to write the check than to come up here and clean the toilet bowl. It's easier to do sitting on a row than go feed the people down below. Isn't it? You see, the temple model says consume. The Jesus model says contribute. The Jesus model is so simple, but yet so demanding. And the beauty is it can change the world. And we should try our best to put it back into practice. 
because Jesus did it first with a great example. It also can make the gospel irresistible to people in our world today. And that's how the church got traction in the first century in the beginning. And that's how we get traction again today. Not by trying to to go forward and come up with new ideas and come up with all this great stuff. No, 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 no. It's actually because we need to go back to what he first did by his example and love one another unconditionally. And when when we can do that, oh man, the church will once again gain traction like no other. As we begin to move backward and live like he did, we need to remember the structure he set into play. The church body is not a kingdom. Our Father, you saw that video at the very beginning, our Father who art in heaven, what? Thy kingdom come? It's coming. We don't need to act like we are the kingdom. We are waiting for that moment to return when he comes back and makes it happen. Because we believe. And until then, a lot of people are going to sit up and say, moon this and moon that and look it up. No, it's all coming. And I believe that there's some maps in the Bible, yes. I believe that there's some prophecies in the Bible that are happening right before our eyes. But for us to sit there and say, oh, tonight's the night. Man, you need to read the scriptures. Even Jesus didn't know the day and time, man. Come on. It's in scriptures. We get so bent out of shape over the little things that are really irrelevant. What does love require of me? It's probably going to love and tell the Jesus story of me, how how Jesus has impacted my life, and stop teaching the funny things that the church loves to teach about. Now, I see a lot of people out there just like, what is he talking about? Where is he going with this? Let's think about this. We are waiting for a moment to for this return, and until then, we are a body of believers trying to work as one, especially if we are in Christ Jesus. And and the Apostle Paul wrote a letter in 1 Corinthians to the people of Corinthians, and he said it in verse 12, 27, and 27 says, now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. If you don't want to be a part of the body and try to move and, and try to serve as an example of Jesus and do the things like Jesus did and live like Jesus did, then how can you believe in Jesus? He loved the idea of the church. And you're sort of strong guy. He's like, you know, I, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. He loved the church. He wanted the church to, to succeed. He wanted to, to go all in and see what it looks like. And, and, and the only way I know how to really describe this is this. If you separate and you go home and you're like, you know what, I, I just believe that it's better for my family to serve my, my, you know, Jesus at home and we can do some great things. He's like, no, 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 no. This is, the, this is the way I can describe it. It's like my big toe. I don't have one, okay? I got it amputated a long time ago and it's like a missing body part. You're missing out on what it looks like to be fully alive and living and well. You know, a missing body part, you know, when you get it cut off, it's kind of gross, isn't it? I know some people have got their fingers cut up this week, and it's kind of gross, isn't it? It's just one of those moments of like, I'm missing a body part. It's something wrong here. That's the way it should be like when you're not apart, when you're not living together as one big family, serving and, and pointing and, and centering on Christ. It's not natural. It's gross. 
It's not what Jesus wanted it to look like. We all have skills to make his church function and be better. It's just for us to come together and make his name famous by serving the one who set an example for us to follow. But first, we got to live in him. We have to understand what it really means to live in him, believe with him. And when you do that, it changes things. And so a couple of years ago, I began to ask this question in my own walk. And I invited a couple of friends who I trusted to pray with me. And what does it look like to begin to focus on Jesus in a way that will redefine what we cared about? It would, it would redefine how we live, how we point, and how we center everything we do and say. And what happened was the birth of Centerpoint Church. A core group of people who decided to abandon the temple model of thinking began to follow a Jesus model of example. A group of people who knew that we needed to stop making churches and start making disciples who multiply is the only way we get this thing right. A group of people who knew that it was, it was so simple of a model to follow, but it was going to be the most demanding thing ever we ever had in our personal walks or belongings because it demanded everything. It was going to cost us everything from our time, our talent, and our tithe. And when we did that, we found out that it changed us. It changed me. Just like it changed the first century church. Just like it changed Peter who said, Jesus, you can't do that. I, you can't wash my feet. No, no, no. Peter, if you don't allow me to be a part of your life this way, apart from me. You see, a couple of weeks or last week, we decided to make a video of what it looks like when we trust Jesus. When we center everything on Jesus and when we point to him with everything that we have. And we begin to live together through anything that comes our way by serving Jesus. Because of this one simple question. What does love require of me? And so we shot a video last week and this, let me just sort of set the video up. They had no idea what they were getting into, but it allowed the core group of people who launched Centerpoint to experience a love that Jesus set in motion. Watch this video.
sometimes you don't have to have any words to see the raw emotion. The emotion of what it means for someone to pour everything they have out, to follow an example of, of trusting Jesus. Because if it wasn't for those people, not to bring them any glory, set them on a pedestal, but to simply acknowledge what they've done. Because a lot of your marriages wouldn't be alive today if it wasn't for the love that's found here. A lot of you would still be far from God if it wasn't for the love that's found within this body of believers. A lot of you would honestly still be wondering if Jesus is even real if it wasn't for the love that has been displayed here. All because a couple people decided to roll up their sleeves and get dirty. And for that, an example has been set. If you think about the early church and how it began to take motion and how it began to take traction, it's pretty simple. People got dirty. People got down and started to share their Jesus story. They started to live with a new, new thriving thing in their own walk, which is Christ. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't have a temple. They didn't have anything. They had one thing in their suitcase, and it was Jesus. And when they focused completely on Jesus, they said, you know, my life is, is going to be a living sacrifice for Jesus. And matter of fact, James, the brother of Jesus in verse 4, 14, he says, you know, this little life that we have on here on earth is basically like a little vapor or a fog. He said, do everything that you have, every potential opportunity that you have to invest into the, to me, not to the local church, not to, to, to build up a kingdom there, but my kingdom is coming, but you've got to focus on me. You need to follow me. And so imagine this. This little small thing right here. A little bit of a rope. This orange piece of this rope being our life that we get to live here on earth. We, we do a lot of things. We have some fun times and we have some good times. We have some bad times and then we get to celebrate it all. We, we invest into things. We enjoy things. We, we, we sort of pack our things and it's all about us. And we do everything we can about us because we, we like our us. And then there comes a little bit of a time here at the very end of our rope here. It's a little blue. And it's called those golden years. We, 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 we spend this whole moment of our life. We center point and live all for one thing for this little moment right here. This little small little glimp on the screen, which is called retirement. <laughs> we have 401ks that we build, we build, we build, and we dump them all right here for this little moment right here to enjoy the beach. What if, what if Jesus was true from when he said, do everything you can with the time that you have left on this earth? Not for this. Not for this little small piece right here. Not for that. But for this. Because this is huge. This is why I came. This is why I'm telling you, believe in me. Believe with me. Because thy kingdom's coming and eternity is a long, long time. Stop filling up your suitcases with things that's going to glorify you. Start filling up your suitcases that's going to glorify me. 
Believe with me because eternity is a long, long time. If we get focused on this one little moment right here, we messed up. The church will mess up. You and I will mess up. But if we focus on this, if you focus on all this, it allows for the church to do exactly what Jesus came for. It's just to set people free. It's to show what love really looks like. It's to allow us to experience a love that passes all understanding. It's allowing us to expend eternity with him. So believe with us can change everything. It can allow Jesus once again to be famous for what the initial launch of the church was all about, which was loving one another and getting down on our knees and serving one another. It's that moment of of clarity that you know that you're so far from God that there is no way out except for saying, God, I surrender all. And he's made a way. He's made a way. And he will continue to make a way. He will continue to make a way for you to turn. But you got to start to center on him. You got to start to point back to him and you got to start to live with other believers who believe in the same thing. You got to give up your time, your talent, and your tithe. And you got to roll up your sleeves and say, you know what? It's not about me and my suitcase no more. It's about eternity. And it's time for me to get my hands dirty. I don't know where you're at today. But I trust one thing. Jesus will make a way. Wherever you're at, wherever you're sitting, whatever troubles you got this week, whatever's, whatever's blocking you from hearing this message, Jesus will make a way. The question is, will you respond to it? The question is, will you decide today to really just go all in? Yeah, I had a really bad church experience and I don't want to be a part of another church and I don't really want to just associate, you know, with a, with a bunch of believers that I really don't even know. My goodness, there's a bald man at six foot eight. I don't know if I can follow that dude. You know what? I'm telling you, I will humbly serve you. I will get on my feet and wash your feet, even though they stink. I will do everything I can to love you with the compassion that Jesus loves me because I believe in Jesus. Question is, do you? You want to see something crazy? Don't follow me, follow Jesus. You want to see something extraordinary? It's when we as a church body believe on that and move in and camp out on that, man, it will change your world. His name will once again be famous. Not just in our city. Not just in our region. Not just in our world. In the universe that he created that he blew into existence. For that, that's eternity. We get to follow that if you want to. I invite you to begin to pray on that. Begin to think, to begin to really evaluate where you're at in this whole series. Because Jesus can change everything. 
if you change what you care about. So Jesus, today I just pray that God, you just move in the hearts of people in a way that allows allows you to be famous. God, I'm asking for forgiveness for those who are just so strung out on little ritual things and things that are tying us down. I'm asking for forgiveness when we focus so much on this little small vapor called life here on earth when we should be focusing on greater things. God, please forgive us when we're not getting our hands dirty. God, forgive us when we hold back our own finances because we believe we need them and we got to have them. God, forgive us when we don't serve with our time and our talents. God, forgive us when we make it all about the church and not about you. Jesus, today I'm asking for favor on those who decide to roll up their sleeve get dirty. May they experience you in a way that radically allows love to be shown in 360 degrees around the world. And may people start to understand what it really means. What it really means to feel and believe and love. God, Continue to press this question on our hearts. What does love require of me? So this morning, as we just pray, as we sing, you've already made a way. We just got to follow and trust and obey. It's just that simple for us to trust and obey because there is no other way but to be happy in Jesus. And when we're happy, we're loving one another. So God, as we stand and sing, we thank you for this moment. We give all the credit and glory to you. Amen.